Do you know that there are some times that mothers think about sleep and they say, oh my goodness, I wish I had more sleep. Today, we're going to talk about sleep because that's one thing that many mothers tend to um, experience a lack of and it's very important for our well-being. I am Dr. Dini. I am the award-winning mom empowerment coach. I'm a family doctor, international speaker, best-selling author of the book, Every Mom is a Supermom, and your host on the Wellbeing for Mothers show. And today we have an very, very important guest who has come to share with us her knowledge about sleep. This is Dr. Funke Afolabi-Brown. She is a triple board certified sleep medicine physician. She's passionate by helping people discover sleep as their superpower. Oh my goodness, that sounds good already. And she's a speaker, she's a coach, she's an educator, a writer, and the founder of Restful Sleep MD, where she helps busy professionals and organizations prioritize sleep to achieve their optimal health and thrive and live to their fullest potential. She is a frequent speaker, at conferences, summits, workshops, and association meetings nationally and internationally. And she is a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and the American Thoracic Society. She's also on the medical advisory board of Baby Center and the expert advisory board of Project Sleep. So it is my pleasure to invite Dr. Funke Afolabi Brown, welcome to the Wellbeing for Mothers show. Oh, thank you so, so much. Thank you for that kind introduction. It's great to be here. <laughs> Fabulous. Oh, my goodness. Now, can, can you just tell us a little bit about what got you on this sleep journey? Because, I mean, sleep is something that we all kind of think about, but it seems a little bit far away from many mothers. <laughs> so I know, right? I think we just feel... This is something that goes first. It's the first thing on the chopping block when it comes to our priorities and things that matter to us. Um, and so I think for me, it really came from a, just my own personal struggles with sleep right from medical school. And we went to the same medical school. So, you know, the grind, the hustle, it was intense and it wasn't, there was no such thing as sleep, right? We were talking now about how, you would go with an intention to stay up all night and study, maybe grab a couple of hours of sleep and then go about your day. And, you know, when I look back and I think about just how much torture and how we, you know, you know, pretty much abuse our bodies during those times. And it's time you can't get back. And now that the research is showing that, you know, on the long term, these things are not helpful, even on the short term. So really back to mine, it was more of, it was a struggle when everybody else was trying to read. I was trying to read as well because I was trying to follow the crowd, right? So I was, I put myself under a lot of pressure and I was having to work three, four times as hard to get through. And so I was anxious all the time and, you know, stressed out and overwhelmed right from there. I, I pretty much feel like I was burnt out even from medical school, right? Yeah. And then, you know, fast forward to having kids and training in residency and things, you know, the, the pattern just continued, except now on top of sleep deprivation, I was struggling with some anxiety. And so that was contributing to insomnia. So it wasn't just about, oh, I didn't have enough time to sleep. It was more like I couldn't sleep even when I had time to sleep. So a lot of my work now came from a place of 
you know, learning first the science and working on this myself and really seeing that sleep is a superpower. Sleep is not an option. It's not, you know, no sleep is not an option, right? It's not optional. It is something that is required for life. And so that and that's why my mission really has been with working with busy moms, you know, professionals, women who feel like they're doing everything else and are exhausted and are constantly living in a fog for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm really addressing, getting to the root of that, but using um, sleep as a tool mm-hmm. to to free them of just the distress they're in because a lot of women are struggling. Yes. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, as a family doctor, I tend to see people come in and actually sometimes they'll say, please, could I have a sleeping pill? And mm-hmm. that's what they think is the solution. But like you would probably tell us a bit more about sometimes that's not the solution. Giving a sleeping mm-hmm. pill might not be the best thing for them at that time. So finding out what the root cause is. And I think when when you shared earlier, you said, Initially, it was a situation whereby you had a lot to cover and there was no time to sleep. But then it became, you had the time, but there was anxiety. Do you want to share a bit more light about the impact of anxiety or mental health concerns on sleep? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a bi-directional relationship, honestly. So a lot of studies have shown that, you know, increased the poor sleep first of all, can increase our, can cause a significant emotional dysregulation. So really sort of that labile emotion, that first crankiness we have where we're just more irritable. The same kids are doing the same things, but it seems like <laughs> everything just seems to be sort of magnified in that sense. And that over time, you know, we put ourselves under a lot of stress and that just really increases, you know, the mind racing, the panic the you know the sense of constant overwhelm and so you know sometimes it's like is that what caused the anxiety or were we already attuned like were we already primed to have anxiety and then with sleep that sort of put us over the edge where we're seeing more of the symptoms honestly to say which came first it's hard but the bottom line is it's not just fixing one. It's not just pills, like you said, for anxiety or just like only therapy for anxiety. You have to take care of the sleep part. And that really helps, you know, the anxiety itself improve. Okay. And, you know, it's it's one of those things when we talk about insomnia, right? Insomnia is difficult. It's falling asleep, staying asleep or waking up too early. There are different things that contribute to that. There's sort of what we call the model, the three P's model of insomnia, where we talk about uh, predisposing factors, and then we talk about precipitating factors, and then we talk about perpetuating factors. So the predisposing factors kind of comes with you almost like your personality. Maybe you're more of a sort of a type A person. You're kind of high strong. You're kind of like a high achiever. You have anxiety or you have a family history of sleep problems. So those are sort of the predisposing factors or or you are a physician, right? Or someone who is in that really high stressful um, environment or job or things, or you're a mom with kids, you know? And then we then have the uh, sort of precipitating factor. So maybe you already are primed and then you're now in a situation that triggers insomnia. So stress, so family stress, a loss of a loved one, a sudden move, the birth of a child, mm. um, 
a, a job change, you know, something really, an illness, right? A diagnosis. So something triggers that. So that's what you call the precipitating factors, right? And then finally, we talk about perpetuating factors where you now are in this cycle where you start to try to either protect your sleep or try to work hard to fix your sleep or try to, you know, drink a lot of caffeine to stay awake and drink alcohol to fall asleep and need medication. So we then now get into these habits or things that at the end of the day, even though we were intending to improve our sleep with them, it ends up worsening our sleep. So we get into this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And so really, um, I think that those are things, those are mechanisms that sort of feed into insomnia, which is why sometimes it gets very complex. It's not just about, you know, sleep hygiene or, you know, put your phone away. Sometimes even putting, using the phone sometimes, honestly, for some of my clients, I'm like, listen, if you feel like your mind is, you know, if you feel like you just need that moment to enjoy your phone, enjoy engaging on social media for a little bit, it's fine if that's something that will bring you just a little bit of ease and me time, you know? So that's why we really have to sort of individualize this when we're addressing sleep issues with women. Mm, that is so, so true. And I love the fact that you kind of broke them down into the three Ps. And I think mm. listeners should kind of, perhaps if you're listening to this, you're probably walking around, you know, taking, um, you're driving or you're taking the kids to school. I want you to come back and listen to this because if you take out those three Ps, the predisposing, the precipitating, the perpetuating factors, you will identify one or two things in your day-to-day life that is falling into those factors. And by the time you identify these, you can start your journey towards improving your sleep. Awesome. Okay. And I I know that um, I've shared this story and people perhaps know um, I, I struggled with sleep at a point. I used to be someone that would, before I put my head on the pillow, I'll fall asleep. I didn't have problems sleeping. And then I, I became a mother. And um, that, that, that was the end of it. <laughs> that was the end of it. And uh, my sleep pattern just went out the window. And there's this phrase where they say, when, when you give birth to children, you murder sleep. Like that's the end of it for you. <laughs> And um, I, I kind of now understood why people had made such statements because the ki- the children, depending on how they are fed, might be waking up every two hours, three hours, yeah. 30 minutes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just wanting because, I mean, I, with my children, I breastfed them. So it was a situation whereby um, they kind of woke up and ate on demand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was no sleep for me really so mm-hmm. I'm just wondering for the young mothers who are probably saying I don't know what to do Can is there anything that you could maybe suggest to them that would help them with that yeah no I, I agree with you I think I actually feel like that statement that you said with like a child the birth of a child leads to the death of sleep <laughs> I think it's unfair as moms because what then happens is people then embrace this as their fate. Like my child came, at least there's, you know, so sleep goes away. But I'm not saying it's going to be perfect when you have a newborn that, you know, you, you're you responsible for, you have hormonal changes, your body is healing. And then, you know, you want to, you know, you want to maybe nurse the baby. Everybody can, you know, make the choice that works best for them. But I think one of the things we have to really do is ditch the guilt around being able to ask for help. 
and realize that we don't have to be superwomen. Mm. And yes, sleep will suffer when a child, a new, when you have a newborn, sleep will suffer. Usually for some parents, some parents, some women, the first two years of their child's life, they just don't sleep, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. Again, it doesn't have to be perfect. But sleep does not always constantly be worth sacrifice. The laundry can get sacrificed. Mm. Home-cooked meals can get sacrificed, right? The ability to just put your pride down and say, okay, neighbor, come hold this baby for me so I can take a nap, can get sacrificed, right? So I think it's really starting from that mindset shift. Like there is a change. I just brought a newborn, a new life into this earth, right? I get to, you know, take a step back and say, what do I need? I need sleep because Mm -hmm. with the increased rate of postpartum anxiety, Mm-hmm. and postpartum depression and how insomnia contributes and sleep deprivation, it's at an alarming rate, right? We're talking some of these moms committing suicide, really feeling at a loss for what to do. So yes. I don't want to sound bleak, but this is something we really have to start to address, right? And so my suggestion, especially within those first you know, three months, children do not have a circadian rhythm, which is that internal clock that helps them to know it's morning, I'm supposed to be awake. It's night, I'm supposed to be asleep. They sleep all the time, right? And then they wake up at random times. They don't have that yet. So how can you, with what you have, make sure that you are still getting the rest you need? And that's where what I just talked about, like ditching perfection, asking for help, delegating, you know, hiring help if you need to, as much as, and you know, getting the help of your spouse if you have one, um, and knowing that, you know, perfect, it's okay. It's okay if they don't do it the way I want, ditching that perfection, right? So that you can get rest. So that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that a lot of parents, uh, a lot of moms struggle with is, oh, I don't want my baby to cry when I'm, you know, I don't want to sleep train. I feel the sleep training because there are different ways to train your baby. And what is sleep training? Honestly, I don't use that term too often. All I do is teach your child to sleep independently. Because mm-hmm. when your child sleeps independently, studies have shown you that the rate of anxiety in moms, the rate of depression decreases. So you are actually, and then you guess what happens when a mom is well rested? Guess mm-hmm. who's a better mom? Guess who's calmer? Guess who's able to really even have better milk supply, right? So you are actually still doing it for your child. Uh, so that's really, so that's a way to look at it. So when you get to a point where the child is able to at least maybe sleep for certain amounts of time through the night and you have to have that discussion with your doctor, mm-hmm. it's time to start teaching them how to sleep independently. And it's a life skill. It's a skill that they will take with them forever. So mm-hmm. honestly, that's, that's, I think that's my spiel on that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and I absolutely love that. There's just so many gems in there because I mean, first of all, it really starts with the mindsets. And mm-hmm. just getting rid of that guilt. And I know mom guilt is something that many of us as mothers, I've experienced that <laughs> plenty of times, you know, when I'm like, oh gosh, I couldn't do this. And I beat myself up so much. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's all about, look, this is what, ha- it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the best I can with what I've got, with my own situation. And remember, especially mothers, remember that you can only pour from a cup that is filled. If your cup is empty, which is what sleep deprivation leads to, an empty cup, you're going to be pouring emptiness. And that child that you don't want to cry is going to really cry. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, super. Now, oh, there's this particular one that I've seen a lot of, and this Mm. is for mothers who perhaps are in business or they work shift jobs. 
that 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 one is a very tricky one. So um, because I have been there, I've worked shift jobs, covering A and E shifts, or being on call as a doctor, and then sometimes you you kind of need to still come back, pick the children up because you're just getting there when they're getting ready to go to school, go drop them in school, kind of get ready for your second night. You know, it can be quite destabilizing. So what are certain things that you think that you could perhaps suggest for mothers who are either shift workers or they work late shifts or yes, um, have that kind of uh, not regular nine to five (laughs) routine? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And, and life happens, right? Sometimes, you know, that their stages. One thing I do have to let you know, like shift work sleep disorder is a real thing. It's a real problem that's associated with a lot of very negative consequences, including increased risk of heart problems, increased risk of some cancers too. So this is serious, not shift work, shift work sleep disorder. And so what is that? How is that different? It's when you're now in a situation where you're a shift worker, but you chronically have problems sleeping. So you're not just really able to sleep because your circadian rhythm, which is that internal core, is completely off and out of sync. And so that's now leading to further sleep problems. And that's a diagnosis that you need with a sleep specialist. That being said, I put that out there because, you know, a number of people, probably close to 20 or 25% of people that work shifts can eventually develop that disorder. Mm-hmm. What I would recommend if you're that mom is to see if you can advocate for a normal shift as much as you can. I That's the bottom line, especially with the risks that we know. Now we understand, especially if you're someone that works in the medical community, right? We do need shift workers. We need nurses. We need EMTs. We need doctors. We do need that. It's a need. So I'm not going to come here and be like, oh, yeah, shift work, shift disorder. Everybody should get off shift work. Like we can't do that. The world will not run. But I think if you can find it, there's a way. And this is the reason why also as part of my work is really as a sleep advocate to help people be aware of this, but to also help people be aware of the fact that they're different, what we call chronotypes mm. in, in or people. So there are people who are more night owl, there are people who are more morning persons. And if there's a way where we can align our occupation, I mean, that would be my ideal, right? And so I'm going from my ideal to what we actually can have, right? where you can align your job or what whatever it is you're doing best with your chronotype, where you're more likely. So there's some people who are who would thrive in shift work and there's some people who are struggling and they're having a lot of this um, medical problems because of shift work. So if there's a way to align it and to advocate for yourself and there's systems in place, and this is where this is not just, be, this is beyond the individual level. This is really going to more of the organization, like what can the organization do to support people's sleep health paying this paying attention to these factors Mm -hmm. so that's one now if you know we're not in a perfect world we're not in my world which is a perfect world where sleep health is prioritized this is where we are i think the best place to start is again almost like we said about the mom the new mom is where what do you have the bottom line is no matter how much you try you can't be awake 24 hours it's not sustainable with life and you have to figure out how to prioritize your sleep. So I think, again, we're back to how do I, I know I want to be there for my kids. I know I want to be there. But how is that going to work if you've worked all night and then, you know, you again have to get up and get them to school? When are you going to sleep? Mm-hmm. So you have to think about ways, build systems in place 
to make sure that you're still prioritizing sleep. Mm -hmm. So maybe, and then, and, and how does this look? Because you're going to be working against your circadian rhythm, right? You're going to be probably, if you work a night shift, you're going to be going to bed when your body is expected to be awake, right? So what I recommend, I recommend some very practical strategies. And that starts with even before the shift starts, you have to make sure you get a nap because naps improve performance, improves alertness, decreases the risk of errors, and is good for your cardiac, cardiovascular health, right? So in that situation, you do need a nap before your shift. Right after your nap, this is where I actually will recommend some caffeine because that will boost your alertness for them. Because the thing is, even though you work on a shift, I don't want you drowsy during the shift and making mistakes, right? And losing your job, right? Then you'll be awake because you don't have a job. I don't want that happening. <laughs> so, so at the beginning of that shift, right? Night shift, you'll do that. You take a nap, you take some caffeine really strategically. And then you want to expose yourself to bright light. Early in the shift, again, because remember, melatonin is the darkness hormone. And so your natural melatonin is trying to rise because it's thinking you're supposed to be asleep. So you mask that with bright light. And, and most ERs tend to do that. You'll see there's a lot of lighting, there's noise, and that helps promote alertness. Now, by towards the second half of your shift, when your shift is about to be over, definitely you want to avoid any meals, any caffeine, anything that's going to be disruptive because you're now going to be trying to work against your body in that sense so that you can't start to wind down for sleep. So you try to avoid too bright light. You try to avoid lights that's too bright. You go, when you're going home from your shift, you want to try to avoid exposure to even natural light because the intensity of natural light is enough to suppress melatonin. So that's where I always recommend wear some sunglasses. It doesn't matter how, the more bogus, the better, just to really get, avoid too much bright light coming in. Of course, if you're sleepy, take Uber, take a cab, have a friend take you, don't, do not drive sleepy. Um, do not take caffeine because your goal is to go home to sleep. And hopefully you can just go home. Don't do groceries. You could put groceries on, you could do um, online grocery shopping. You know what I mean? Like, just go home and sleep. Go home and sleep. Make sure you have a routine, a mini routine. Again, it's now morning, right? But your body still can respond to those cues where having a routine, having a bath, you know, turning your phone and all the digi digital stuff off, um, making sure your room is nice and dark, getting earplugs if you need them so that everywhere is quiet, wearing a sleep mask if your room is not dark enough or blackout shades. I'm putting a giant do not disturb sign on your door. If you have young kids, see if you can get, even if even if it's just for a few hours where someone can watch them so that you can at least get that sleep. And then, you know, that would at least help. Again, it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to get eight hours of sleep, most likely not. But you want to really try to maximize that as much as possible. So that's what I, I typically recommend. It's still advocating for as much sleep as you can. Oh, wow. I mean, my goodness, so many strategic tips <laughs> and tactics that moms, you can kind of delve into. So please, I think you need to come back to this episode and listen to it because there's so many golden nuggets that were dropped in here. So you need to come back, take notes and um, actually pick up on the gems that are being dropped. Now, you mentioned something about the um, hours of sleep. And I'm just wondering, because this is a very common question, how many hours would you say is recommended for us to sleep that would actually be 
beneficial? Or what's the minimum <laughs> we would say? Yeah. <laughs> well, the National Sleep Foundation has a recommend has recommendations on the required number of hours of sleep. And it varies by age, right? So you know your, your newborn will sleep like 14 to 17 hours. Uh, your preschooler may be about 10 to 13 hours. And then your school-age child may sleep anywhere from 9 to 11 hours. And then your teenager may sleep about 8 to 10. For adults, it's anywhere from 7 to 9 hours. But you can see there's a lot of variability. But one thing we know is that if you're short on sleep, over time is associated with a lot of those consequences we talked about. So Alzheimer's, heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, right? Um, if you get too much sleep as well, where you're going over that, like whatever recommendation, especially for adults where you are maybe say, for instance, constantly sleeping like 10 hours, that's also not exactly good. And studies have shown it associated with, again, some heart diseases and some executive function impairment. So there's that sweet spot of seven to nine. But how do you know if you're a seven-hour sleeper, eight-hour sleeper, nine-hour sleeper? That's really an, another individualized thing. And the way I recommend is find out how much and be true to yourself. How much sleep? How much sleep do I need without caffeine to wake up feeling refreshed and also to be able to function effectively during the day? Mm. And so that's really important. I think that's really the key, and that will let you know. And some people. It may be seven and a half, it may be seven, it may be eight hours, it may be nine hours. So really be true. I usually will recommend try to do this at a time where you don't have to wake up to an alarm clock. So maybe on a weekend or vacation to get a sense of, okay, how much sleep does my body really need? And that will guide you so that, you know, if you're now, if all you've been getting is five hours of sleep and you truly do need seven hours or seven and a half hours, then you can slowly start to increase that sleep gradually. But then the other piece is the quality. Beyond the quantity of sleep is the quality. Because I would rather take six hours of good sleep than eight hours of crappy sleep. So really sure that you get um, high quality sleep. So what does that look like? If you feel you have a sleep disorder, if you have snoring and restless sleep, or um, if you drink alcohol, caffeine before bed, or, you know, if you have, you know, other things that are going on that could be impacting your sleep, then you want to try to address those as well so that your sleep quality is good as well as making sure that the quantity is sufficient mm. Mm. oh my goodness i love that so quality <laughs> and quantity so yeah. yes very very true i think that yes like you rightly said quality i will definitely pick good six hours <laughs> yeah definitely any day anytime and mm. um, I, I think when when it comes to sleep there are some times when we feel that like there is a time when you actually have great sleep and there are some times that you really like struggle to sleep. Is there a way that you can help catch up on sleep that you missed? If, for example, you know that you're a seven hour person and you only managed maybe, I don't know, four hours or so through the night. Is there a way that you can maybe catch up in that 24 hour period or maybe anytime afterwards yeah i mean some people talk about the concept of biphasic sleep where you sleep for short you sleep for some hours you get up go about your day and then you you continue sleeping i think honestly you know if things happen short term where you have 
things going on and you're not able to get consolidated sleep, as long as you're able to get the number of hours of sleep, it's fine. I think on the long term, though, you want to try to get your sleep as consolidated as possible. Hmm. If you're in a situation, say, maybe there's work or there's changes in the family or home or, you know, changes in your life where you're not able to get enough sleep at night, Hmm. taking a nap during the day is fine. I just recommend not taking an excessively long nap because then what that will do is like you're, it's as if you're stealing from your next night's sleep. So you don't want to do that habitually. But if, say, you're sleepy and you know you're going to get it behind the wheel and you need to take a nap, of course, take a nap. Um, just try to keep it short and also try to make sure it's um, sort of earlier in the in the um, earlier in the day versus later. Okay. That is absolutely fabulous. And I think, especially as mothers, we all know that there are sometimes that your child is trying to sleep at uh, 1 p.m. And you're like, fine, you can have a bit of a rest. But by the time it's 4 p.m. and they're trying to be like, wake up, wake up. (laughs) There's no way you're sleeping now. Yeah. Okay. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's been amazing. I I really, really thank you for what you've shared because there's been so many gems. I'm going to definitely come back and listen to this over (laughs) and over because my goodness, it's just mind blowing the amount of value you have given to the listeners here. So I'm just wondering, is there a place that you would like uh, our listeners to connect with you to get to know more about what you do? Yeah, no, absolutely. It has been um, great. It's been fun chatting with you and your listeners and you're doing such amazing work. So thank you. Thank you for advocating for moms and their wellness and all. It's so much needed. I hang out on Instagram. So that's one place you could find me at Restful Sleep MD. I'm also on Facebook and on LinkedIn. I'm Dr. Funke Brown. And then my website is a great place to connect with me. Actually, it's uh, www.restfulsleepmd so that's one word restfulsleepmd.com I do have a coaching program for moms busy moms who are either struggling with their own sleep or they're trying to get their kids to sleep so they can sleep and it's a one-on-one coaching program really helping a lot of what I talked about now we individualize it and then I am there to hold you capable I'm there to kind of help track your sleep and make sure that we get you good quality sleep and good quantity sleep and help you to become a sleep coach for your own child as well. Mm. And so that's um, my website. You could schedule a free call with me and then we could see if it's, um, if it could be a good fit. Fabulous. Fabulous. And for everyone listening, I'm going to put all the links in the description. And so you'll be able to connect with um, Dr. Funke Afolabi Brown. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I'm so, so grateful for that. So everyone, see, this is what we're talking about. It's all about well-being for us as mothers. And remember, like I always say, every mom is a super mom, not because of the super things that she does, but because of the superpowers she possesses within. We have the ability to create the time to sleep. We have the ability to create the lives we desire. And we just need to connect with that as well. So I look forward to catching up with you all sometime soon. Until next time, I ask that you stay well and continue being the awesome version of yourself. Don't forget to download this episode and listen again. Let me know in the reviews what your main takeaway was. And I will leave all the links in the description. Thank you and stay well. Bye.